This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Jealousy, betrayal, and justice. The life of Joseph. Most of us are familiar with the life of Joseph, and we think about a guy who had great misfortune, um, sold by his brothers, uh, ends up is a slave who becomes second in command of Egypt. And we know that, and it's great, and it inspires us. Um, there, there is uh, so much to this story, such a beautiful picture of, of Jesus, of foreshadowing Jesus's life, um, but also um, so many lessons that we can learn about forgiveness and about not staying bitter and, and doing whatever we can to remove the things from God being able to work in our lives. I always think about that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can hope, think, or imagine the qualifier according to the power that is at work within us. We all want exceedingly and abundantly more than we can imagine. Everybody wants that, but then we also want to say, what do I need to remove so that God can move in that way? You know, and whatever that's supposed to look like. I mean, we just want a life that is sold out, to the Lord. I know this this past Sunday, our pastor at uh, Newbridge, Billy Humphrey, was given a message and, and just such a refocus. I was also listening to Francis Chan this morning, and you know, it just seems like both of them saying is that that you know we think that you know if we come to Jesus, then we're going to get richer and we're going to get you know it's it's ultimately this this ticket to get all these things that you know, we really want out of life when the reality is, is we get Jesus and, and that's enough. And if the rest of it comes, great. Now I, I will say this, like I, I'm not an anti-wealth person, you know, but I'm not also, if you, if you give your life to Jesus, then, you know, here comes the money. But I also had to be delivered from like almost a, a hatred of money. I remember, you know, whenever I first came to know the Lord, that I had this disdain for it, but then I realize, you know, now to be able to do, I don't want to say to be able to do effective ministry, but I think, for example, when somebody's coming out of drug addiction, that you've got to have a facility. You know, you just you, you just don't, you know, I mean, you think about all the, 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 the outreaches. I mean, I'll just give these statistics, right? So the average church in America, 97% of tithes and offerings are absorbed by administrative cost. Okay, now that's no indictment against the church. I mean, number one, you've only got a small percentage of people that even tithe. And then, you know, then then the ones that do tithe, you've got a very, very small percentage, typically, you know, depending on the demo and how affluent the, you know, the congregation is. But I mean, then you have even a smaller percentage that typically, you know, give anything that you can actually, you know, build, build a church on, build a life on. And then I also realize that, you know, we can... You know, you, you, you can have this this frustration about these nice buildings and these salaries and all this kind of stuff like that. So let me just talk about that for a second. Number one, you know, when I'm single, then all I care about is going to the homeless shelter and preaching the gospel. I've got no grid for a nice building, okay? I have no grid for infrastructure. But now I've got a wife, I've got five children, and if I show up to a church and their infrastructure is a complete mess, and I go and take my children to the, you know, to the nursery, and they don't have, you know, good security in place, and they don't have the staffing, and they don't have, you know, something that says to me, hey, your children are going to be here whenever you get out of service, then I'm not going to that church. 
And that costs real money to be able to put systems and to have the, the, the appropriate policies and to have a well-thought-out organization. And then if you want anybody that's strong enough to run it, you've got to pay them a good salary. I mean, and that, that's, that's just the fact, right? And so, and, and I know they're the outliers and everything like that, but I also just think about people in times past that, you know, conversations of, man, do you see that pastor? He had a Cadillac. Or do you see that pastor and he, you know, had a, you know, whatever. Have you seen their house? Have you, you know, okay, 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 okay. You know, I mean, so, so, so he, he, here's the deal, you know, I mean, you, you, you won't, I mean, like, like pastors don't have dreams for their families. I mean, pastors don't care about, you know, the future of their family. Of course they do. I mean, any, any Christian leader, you know, that, that's got a family and yeah, we want to, we want to, we want to live and we want to sacrifice and we want to make sure that we're giving, we're doing all that kind of stuff like that too. But at the end of the day, I mean, you, you've got somebody and, and, and pastors typically aren't going to call themselves CEOs. But you need, but, but, but a pastor to be able to run an organization, to be able to navigate the hostile legislative culture that negatively impacts Christians, I mean churches, and all those kind of things like that, and policies, and protecting it from, you know, from, from um, embezzlement, and understanding finances, and underst- you know, all those kind of things like that. I mean, you, you've got to have a, j- just a gifted speaker does not carry the skill set to be able to run that organization. If you want people like that, you know, then you, you're typically going to give them a, a salary that empowers them to be able to run that position, okay? And I can explain this, and I know on a podcast and stuff like that, I'm not here fielding questions, and I don't have enough time to give an exhaustive answer to every one of these things that I'm talking about, but just hopefully that you understand that that's important. Now I circle back to where I was really going with this thing, is that... The church, 97% of tithes and offerings are absorbed by administrative costs, and that's the reason why. If you want somebody in full-time ministry and you don't want your pastor to be bivocational, got to pay them a salary. you got to have a nice structure so people trust that they can come to the place. But in that, because of the lack of tithing, only about 3% of tithes and offerings in general in the average church, you know, there's, there's ones I feel like the church that we go to probably spends way more than that own missions and outreach and things like that. But typically that's what happens, right? And so that is how I got delivered from my hatred of money and understanding that it is necessary. Typically, you know, I'm, all, I'm always thinking about that, that outlier when God moves in some kind of very unusual way and there can be revival in one of the worst neighborhoods and everybody comes out of there totally delivered. But typically, people have to be pulled out of that environment. So for example, right, so so here's the issue with a lot of outreaches. Now I'm saying, you know, what I'm not saying is, is to to stop doing these. We, we, we need to continue to do these types of outreaches. So for example, right, what I'm talking about is, let's say you go into inner city Atlanta and you set up a microphone, you've got the gifted speaker, you've got a barbecue grill, you're doing hot dogs and hamburgers, big crowd draws, preach the gospel. There's people that have been on heroin for, you know, 20 years that comes forward, tears streaming down their face, gives their life to Jesus. You pray for them, they receive Christ. 
right? The outreach team is leaving, celebrating these people that just gave their lives to the Lord down in Bankhead or inner city, wherever, going back, throwing the pictures up on some slideshow, when in reality, the guy at the outreach went and started getting high and was back at the trap house before they even got back to their to their houses in suburbia. That that's the issue right there. That that's a big issue. I'll never forget there was a pastor in California and and he challenged the congregation one day and he said, "If God were to remove this church from the planet, like God just came down and said, you know, this church right here in Santa Maria, California, or this church in Atlanta and just takes it and pulls it off the map, would the local community even know that they were gone?" And the answer should be, there is a gaping hole in this community because of how well our churches loved our communities and loved people and created a place where people can, can really change. So, you know, when, 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 I, when I, you know, I say all of that to say that, you know, that we, we don't need, obviously, we can't be lovers of money. We can't be lovers of ourselves. We can't be, you know, lovers of all of that, getting back down to, but to the reason, though, of why do we do what we do, and we want to make sure that we're creating incredible places for people to be able to come and get well. And now we are getting ready to transition into the life of Joseph. And I, and I think about so many of us um, is, is we, we, we think about this story of Joseph and we're thinking about, okay, what, you, you know, I, I didn't have the right people in place to be successful. And, 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 and here's the deal, right? You know, you think about Joseph, he becomes second in command, but a lot of us are running around and thinking like, you know what? I didn't have a good upbringing. I didn't have, you know, somebody to show me what success is. And so therefore, you know, I, I'm not going to be successful. I had the wrong parents or we didn't have enough money or I didn't have enough education or, you know, I went to the, to the terrible school. And if only I could have been like my friend over here that went to the private school or something like this. Then I would have the tools necessary to be successful. Now, I will say this. There is a little bit of truth. You know, obviously, you know, you see, you know, the attorney that has children and, you know, their, maybe their path to becoming attorney might be easier because they saw this lived, li- lived out, you know, day in and day out for many years. And so they've got more of a grid of what it takes and the workload and the drive and the ethic or something like that, you know, or you've got the kid that grew up with the dad that or the parents that owned a company and they saw the sacrifice and so they've got a grid for it. And maybe, you know, somebody else that grew up with, you know, with, 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 with parents who, um, you know, didn't own a company and so they had no grip. So I hear what people are saying is like, okay, there's some truth that at least you were exposed to that level of success. So that might give you some type of advantage or you can leverage that, you know, to be able to, to become successful. Now, when we look at Joseph's life, if you want to talk about dysfunction, I mean, I'm just going to start off. If you go to Genesis, first book of the Bible, there in 37, it's talking about Joseph's father, Jacob. It said he lived in the land where his father stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, plural, there's you some dysfunction, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. So he's got this, this favoritism towards Joseph. And uh, it's really interesting. I was speaking with a Christian counselor um, after I recently preached a message on Joseph. 
And he was just showing me in times past and this misplaced grieving that Jacob had about Joseph's mother that ultimately gets played out and causes all this dysfunction um, in, in, you know, among Joseph's brothers or amongst the siblings. Um, and then he also buys him this coat, what we know as the coat of many colors. But I want you to understand, you know, all the different dynamics that are going on right here. I mean, you've got Joseph is, is the favorite out of all the brothers. You've got uh, Jacob, you know, buys him the Armani suit while he takes the rest of the children over to Coles. Okay. So if you're one of the kids, you know, that's sitting there looking at him and just being like, did dad really just get this joker a $2,000 Armani suit while I'm over here wearing this Coles untailored, the stuff barely fits, whatever it is. And there's breeding all this frustration. And then out of nowhere, Joseph has a dream. And I mean, I'm just sitting here of the dynamics of this. Like Joseph tells on his brothers for underperforming, for not doing their job right. He's the favorite. He gets this this robe that is just 10 times nicer than anything that they have. It's clear who's the favorite. And then Joseph all of a sudden bombards them all with this dream where they're all bowing down to him and jealousy consumes them. You guys know the story. They, they fake this accident that, that Joseph has been uh, eaten alive by a wild animal, comes back. The father's devastated. They ultimately traffic Joseph, sell him to uh, these traffickers that take him to Egypt to where he is placed now as a slave in Potiphar's house, chief bodyguard of, 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 the, of Pharaoh. And Joseph, it says the Lord was with him. He prospers Joseph. And so what I first want you guys to understand is, is that even whenever you're in a difficult situation, you're in a situation that you don't like, you've got a boss that you don't like, you know, you didn't get the dream job, you know, it, it's not looking the way that you would imagine it to look at this particular season of your life. What you have to understand is, is that God is still with you. And even when it is unfavorable circumstances, God can still prosper you in the middle of great adversity. So Joseph's going along. He's doing the right thing. You guys know the deal. Potiphar's wife gets the hots for Joseph, tries to talk to him day in and day out. Joseph resisting, telling him like, look, you know, your, your husband has given me everything but you. How could I do this great sin to him? Doing the right thing. And then finally she catches him when nobody else is around pulls his coat off of him. When he denies her that time, she just said, hey, I've had enough of this. I'm going to cry rape. And Joseph now is ultimately convicted of rape and sent back to prison. So here's the deal. You know, running a treatment center, you see people the majority of the time in something as simple as, you know, I, I, I didn't get my phone back in time, you know, and then I think about, you know, way broader outside of than just treatment. When things aren't going our way, then we're ready to throw in the towel. Well, this just isn't worth it anymore. This horrible thing happened or, you know, th- this, this, this thing. And I tried so hard to get this promotion and God didn't give it to me. And they promoted the person over here that's not as good as me or whatever it is. And we're ready to throw in the towel and just bail on the whole thing. I want you to look at Joseph's life. If there was anybody, if there was anybody who had a reason to say, 
you know what? I'm going to take advantage of this. I mean, I think about Potiphar. He was way up in, 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 in the ranks over there. I'm sure this was probably a good-looking woman. Joseph being denied, I'm almost certain, any sexual activity for years. And there he is, is a slave. And then he also could have said, hey, if I you know, go ahead and sleep with this lady, then maybe I can leverage that for my benefit. Joseph there in the middle of all this adversity could have said, man, God, you've forsaken me. You put me over here in this prison. You know, why in the world should I be faithful to you in all these, these, these small details in this, this area where you've taken my family and stripped everything from me? But instead, Joseph, still a man of integrity, does the right thing, and it costs him again. And he goes back to the dungeon. Now, a, 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 he goes, goes, goes back to the dungeon now as a convicted rapist or attempted rapist. I mean, out of all the things that he could have been convicted for, gone back there, and I'm sure rape was as unpopular back then as it is now, and, and, and he finds himself there again. I mean, it would have been probably better for him if it would have been first-degree murder, if it had been, been anything that would have been better than trying to, to rape his boss's wife, and he ends up back in the dungeon now again, but Lord with him again. And the, and the warden, recognizing the gift of leadership on his life, puts him in charge of everything. And now Joseph starts to climb the ranks again to where he is calling all the shots down there. There's more betrayal with the cupbearer and the baker. Joseph interprets those dreams. They forget Joseph after he interprets the dreams correctly. And the cupbearer gets his freedom back until eventually Pharaoh has a dream. Now at the appointed time. That now Pharaoh, the cupbearer, says, oh, there is one in prison who can interpret your dream. Brings Joseph, you guys know the deal. He interprets the, the dream. He does it rightly. Pharaoh recognizes that God's hand is on his life and that God's wisdom and favor are upon him and promotes him to second in command. And now Joseph is there calling the shots, right? Seven years of plenty that everything's going to be great, it's going to be great abundance, and then comes the famine. Two years into the famine, all the other nations, all the other surrounding territories start to, to begin to starve, and they're coming now to Egypt because of Joseph's wisdom. They have stored up grain, and people are coming there to buy grain from them, which now forces Joseph's brothers to come to Egypt to where they are getting ready to have this faithful meeting. Joseph's going to toy with them for a little bit. And I want you to understand right here in this situation, I mean, think about this. I mean, I want you to think about the, the how difficult this would be. I mean, think about things right now that you're offended by. I mean, think about the silly things that happen in church and somebody didn't speak to you or they, you know, said something cross to you or you didn't get the promotion or whatever all these things are that we hold on as major offenses that we will literally sever communication with people, Joseph has had about the worst display of betrayal that somebody could possibly ever experience. And there he is, and he realizes that what they intended for evil, God intended for good and to be able to save lives. And then we go down here to Genesis 50, verse 19. I'll just read it to you. I think it's important just to go back and revisit this. And this is Joseph, you know, really right before he, um, his life is over. And he says there in his final address, Genesis 50, verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for, I, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about, 
in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know, we, we, we know the story, so it's easy to desensitize to that. But if we can go back, take a minute to put ourselves in this place and just say, man, God, the work that you accomplished in Joseph's heart, that is only a work of God in his heart. And we want to be able to show this same kindness. We want to be able to show this same love to people who have done us wrong. And this is, this is what, what I'm talking about earlier whenever I say this is the picture of Jesus. This is foreshadowing. What Jesus was going to do for us is that the ones who he should have destroyed, the ones who were, you know, the, the, the ones that put him on the cross, the ones that beat him, the ones that betrayed him, the ones, all of us that have done all these things that actually deserve God's judgment, but instead we get his mercy. And I want you to think about that day. I want you to think about people who've hurt you in times past. Like, don't let any more time go but to be able to approach them and to be able to talk with them about forgiveness, to look back at the cross of Christ and to realize what all that we've been forgiven for and that we should not hold other people captive, hold other people in bondage, but that we could show the same type of forgiveness. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call at 770-570-7422.